Good morning again. If you have your Bibles with you, open to the book of John chapter 20. We'll be looking at verses 24 through 29 this morning. And today is the final message of the series entitled, Hope is Here. It has been encouraging to discover or uncover all the ways that we can find hope. Hope for the weary and heavy laden. We have found out we do not have to carry our burdens alone. Jesus tells us to come all who are heavy and laden, and I will give you rest. We discovered hope for the broken because forgiveness that is offered to us in love and that we can offer forgiveness to each other because of the forgiveness that Jesus offers us. And then last week we discovered hope for the underdog because with God, we can do anything. It's the strength of Christ, what? That gives us the strength, right? We can do all things for the strength of Christ. And so we can take on any task. But today we're going to look at a place that's even harder to find hope. And that is with a doubter. Someone who doubts. Have you ever heard a story that you just had a hard time believing? That you doubted? You're like, really, is that, is that true? I, I want to ask you a series of questions. This is going to be more interactive. I hope that you would do it along, but you don't have to. You don't want to. So when I, I'm going to read a, a statement. If you think it's true, you just raise your hand. But if you doubt it, any shape, form, or fashion, keep your arm or your hand down. Okay, you understand? Raise it if you think it's true. Keep your hand down if you doubt it. Here we go. Every day, on average... 11 banks are robbed in the United States. Do you think it's true? Okay, put your hands down. You are more likely to be stung by a bee in windy weather. Think it's true? Quit looking around, see what your neighbor's doing. All right. Well, the banks, that is a true statement. 11 banks, on average, are robbed here in the United States. And by the way, Windy weather has nothing about being stung by a bee. That is false. Here's two more. Japan has square watermelons because they stack better. You think it's true? Raise your hand. It is true. How about this? Penguins can smell toothpaste a mile away. <laughs> That's what it's false, brother. But here's the thing. The point I'm trying to make in all this, it's, sometimes it's very difficult what to trust or what to doubt. And doubt has become a very common occurrence in our culture today. There are people who have failed us. We've had leaders, politicians, pastors, teachers, you name it, people who have failed us that causes us to doubt. And there's so much false information on social media. It results in us doubting a lot of things that we read or hear. Uh, we even doubt the news broadcast now. We doubt what politicians tell us. And this past season of COVID-19 has caused a lot more doubt. And what it does for you and I, where is God in the middle of all this? 
and all this suffering and this COVID-19, God, what is it that you want us to do? Now, seeing a word, a world full of hurt and pain makes us doubt, and that's been true since day one. If God's such a good God, a loving God, then why is there evil in the world, or why do people suffer? We wonder if God is good indeed. We see all the suffering and hurt going on around us. People doubt for all sorts of reasons. But here's a point I want to make this morning. Doubt itself or having doubt is not the problem. Doubt itself, having doubt, is not the problem. It's how you handle that doubt makes all the difference in the world. If we handle it wrong, it can cause us to be uh, skeptic and cause us to doubt, which results in a lack of hope. And we're not alone in this. Go back, if you will, in time to after the crucifixion of Jesus. His friends are brokenhearted because their hopes and dreams of God's kingdom being established on earth had seemingly ended. It's not until Jesus miraculously began to show up in his resurrected body that the word started to spread among the disciples that Jesus was alive. You have to remember the environment in which all this happened. They just saw Jesus not long ago be brutally killed on a cross. And now they're going around declaring that they've seen this Jesus alive. Now there's one disciple named Thomas who refused to believe this. He was not there. We'll read the text in a moment, but the text tells us he wasn't there. And can I just paraphrase if, if I was Thomas in that time and you guys came to me, hey Tim, Jesus is alive. What's wrong with you guys? Didn't you see what happened just a few days ago? You guys, I, I don't know if I want to believe it. I won't believe it until I see it. So let's look at the text together. As I turn there, John chapter 20, starting in verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Dynamis, was not with them when Jesus came. He wasn't there. Look at verse 25. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into the side, I will not believe. Verse 26. After eight days, or about a week later, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Now listen to this detail. Jesus came, but here's the detail. The doors having been shut, or locked. Remember that. So Jesus came, the doors having been shut or locked, and stood in their midst or among them and said, Peace be with you. Now, instead of dressing the group as a whole, look what he does. He turns to Thomas. He said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands. And reach here your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Look at Thomas's response. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. In verse 29, Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who do not see and yet believe. Heavenly Father, 
continue to speak to us through your written word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We see right off the bat in verse 24 that Thomas wasn't with them. If you go verses before 24, he appears to the other disciples. In verse 24, it says he's one of the twelve, wasn't there. And Thomas gets kind of a bad rap in church life. He's seen as a stuffy sceptic. He is often viewed as a grumpy old cynic. However, if we're careful, we know that Thomas comes to this place of doubt honestly. As I mentioned earlier, he had just watched his mentor of three years be brutally killed on a cross. So you have to remember, go back to the calling of the disciples. We read through those verses sometimes, at least I'm guilty of it, this reading, oh, and they followed him. They had left everything they knew to follow this man. They thought he was the Messiah, was going to kick off Roman rule and set up the kingdom back like it was back in King David's time. And now, him being killed, all their hopes and dreams shattered. His world was literally turned upside down. And the thought of getting his hopes up about a resurrection that would defy all logic just had to be too hard for him to wrap his mind around. Let's give Thomas some credit here. I mean, we're the same way. You mean to tell me I can come forward, cry out to Christ for forgiveness, and confess my sins, he will forgive me, and he loves me, and I can spend eternity in heaven? What do I have to do? You don't have to do nothing. Just admit to him your sin and cheat him. It's a free gift. We get so hung up on that. That salvation is a free gift. More than likely, he's just trying to protect himself from further pain. Look what he says in verse 25. Unless I see in his hand the imprint of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He will not believe until he sees evidence in front of his eyes that he can touch and he can see. He is doubting to protect himself, and we doubt to protect ourselves. Let's be honest. We are a lot like Thomas. The doubt we often express is a way of keeping ourselves from getting our hopes up, that things in our life can improve, that God does indeed answer prayer, and that God loves us. Look how we act sometimes. Well, I'm going to do A, B, C, and D, and then I'll pray. Well, wait a second. Wait a second. We need to spend time in prayer first because God does answer prayer and God does love us. And God can turn a mess completely on its head and make it something beautiful out of it. But sometimes when we operate, we don't really believe it. We doubt it sometimes. I think me voting in the political process is important as an American citizen. But make no mistake about it. My first allegiance is to Jesus Christ. The only person who's really going to make a difference around here with complete Peace is him. If you're looking for the next president to wave a magic wand and make everything better, you're putting your hope in something that will never, ever happen. Jesus, I mean, Thomas did not want to believe Jesus was alive because he didn't want to be let down. And we often don't want to believe and hope because we're afraid that God will not come through for us. Well, that's God of the Old Testament. That's fine for you, but you don't know my situation, Tim. You don't know what I've been through. Let me tell you something. God is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. We're surrounded by witnesses all around us that give testimony to the wondrous working of God. 
And yet, a lot of times, we doubt. I mean, think about it. What's the first thing, or maybe one of the first things you say when you hear something that is great news? I mean, you hear this great news. What's one of the first responses that we will say? No way! My daughter calls me, Dad, I got a raise at work. No way! And she goes, yes way. Or how about this? You've got to be kidding me. We say that a lot in our culture. Dallas says, hey, I got promoted or uh, I've been healed. You know, let me just share this story. Just bear with me. There was a lady at uh, Sunset. Her name was Betty. And I've been there about three or four months. She was in a horrific car crash. Terrible car crash. She had to be uh, lifted in the helicopter downtown. To Harris Methodist, or I think, no, she was in John Peter Smith, excuse me. And we prayed. I mean, it was touch and go for a long We didn't know if she's going to make it, and if she was to make it, what kind of condition would she be in? And brothers and sisters, we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. As individuals, as a church, went down there with her family and prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. And guess what happened? Six months down the road, she shows up in church, and instead of praising God, know what we said? Betty, what are you doing here? What do you mean what I'm doing here? You pray, God, heal me. God, heal me. What's this? And we do that sometimes, don't we? Hey, God works in our midst, and we, what's going on? And we doubt. We do that sometimes because we think we're protecting ourselves from being let down. But there's times that we do let hope come around. And going back to the text in verse 26, we read that after eight days, about a week, disciples are again inside, but we're told something different this time. Thomas is with them. And that Jesus came to them, the doors were locked, and he stood in their midst. A week later, after Thomas tells his other, his other friends that he doesn't believe, there he is, suddenly in a locked room with the rest of them, and Jesus shows up. I mean, think about that. With no much explanation, Jesus just shows up. Unexpected. Now, Jesus is here, right? Through his spirit, right? I want to make sure I'm on the right track here. But what would we do if Jesus visibly manifested his presence right here without any, just, just shows up? <laughs> what would we do? Probably be shocked. They probably laid down on the ground, crying, holy, holy, holy. He finds himself in a locked room when suddenly the source of hope just shows up. And his first words, he speaks to the group, peace be with you. Perhaps he's telling them, don't be afraid, it's me, you don't have to be afraid. And he turns right to Thomas. <laughs> Doesn't talk to anybody else directly, but talks to Thomas directly. He's speaking to Thomas, the one who refused to believe that he was alive. Notice that Jesus doesn't get on to him about that, does he? Well, you believe I wasn't alive, but here I am. He doesn't say any of that, though, does he? He doesn't reprimand him. He doesn't uh, belittle him. He doesn't ridicule him. He says, come here and see. Come here, Thomas. See for yourself. Look at my hands. Look at my side. Reach here. With your finger and see my hands. Reach here with your hand and put it into my side. He tells him, do not be unbelieving, but 
believing. See, Jesus was not afraid of his doubt, and Jesus is not afraid of our doubt. That many people today are struggling with their faith. They have lost hope somehow that Jesus is, who the, Jesus is not who they thought he was. And sometimes, and tragically, the response to these people who doubt is to shame them or to shun them. But look at the response of Jesus. It's completely different. He welcomes the questions. He welcomes the conversation. He welcomes the wrestle that we have that, why do I believe that? Because honest doubt will lead to honest answers. It's not your doubt, dearly beloved. Jesus wants you to come with those questions. He wants to engage in that conversation with you. So how should we as a church respond to people who have doubts like Thomas? Well, listen to what they're saying, but even more important, listen to what they're not saying. Where's the doubt coming from? Where's the hurt? Where's the pain? Where's the struggle? You show me a congregation that's willing to listen to people, I'll show you a congregation that's providing hope to hopeless people. We should empathize and express compassion. When people learn, when a person learns, we put it in the first person, when a person learns that there's a group of people that honestly love them and care about them, their doubt fades away and hope starts taking place. And you start building a bridge back to faith and hope. And when we listen to people, we're better equipped to meet that need. Jesus was not afraid of Thomas's doubt. We shouldn't be afraid of people's doubt either. He touched Jesus' hands and his I think about this. <laughs> was there a once was wounds on his body were now just scars? A remembrance of the pain, but evidence of the resurrection. Look at Thomas's response in verse 28. My Lord and my God. Here's a guy that is named the doubter with that response. Because he saw Jesus and knew that Jesus could overcome the death and the grave. He surely must be Lord and God. And now the great doubter becomes the one who makes this great proclamation of who Jesus is. My Lord and my God. But guess who else Jesus is thinking about in this moment? He loved that fact that Thomas believed who he was. But look at the rest of verse 29. What does he say? You believe, I'm paraphrasing, you're believing because you see me. But blessed are those who believe but have not seen. Who is that? You and me. I haven't seen Jesus face to face. I've seen the effects of Jesus and what he does. Put it to you this way. Billy Graham used a great illustration about the wind. Can you see the wind? No, you can't see the wind. But you can see the effects of the wind. You can feel the wind. You can feel the wind blow on you. You can see the leaves blowing. We can see the effects of it. We don't see it. See, I, I can see the effects of God on people's lives. I see him show up. I, I know what his presence can do. I've seen it. 
Jesus says, blessed are those who do not see. You know, one day, oh my goodness gracious, one day because of what Jesus has done, you can stand before God without any shame, out of any sin, and look at the one in the eye who took the nails for you. We can fail to doubt when we trust the source. Thomas had information that came directly from the source. That, of course, that's Jesus himself. This causes his doubts just to melt away and turn to hope. The same thing can happen for you and I when we turn to Jesus and realize that Jesus is indeed trustworthy. And throughout history, the church has seen the power of Jesus in miraculous ways. The testimony are all around us of people who have found Jesus to be very real. Think about it. There's people in this room who can testify about the power of God and who God is and what he's done. Even when we are crippled by doubt and we feel like our faith is going to waver, our confidence is not shaken because we know Jesus helps us to press on. Let's go back to after the, the crucifixion. Let's go back before the crucifixion, as we will. What was the attitude of the disciples, just generally speaking? They were scared. They hid. They want to die. This is not what they thought was going to happen. Peter denies him three times. The Greek is very strong. And the words that he uses, I don't know that. I mean, he's getting real forceful about it. Of course, he sees Jesus, makes eyes, and he goes out and whips Billy. You know the story. But here is a group of people that are scared to death. And just a few weeks later, there's the same people standing on the stairs of the temple looking at this crowd. That person you crucified is Jesus. He is the Messiah. Where does that courage come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit, my friends. Look out through human history. People who have died for their faith. Look at the disciples. Didn't change their story one iota. With iota is the smallest letter in the Greek. That's the reason it's called the smallest iota. They never changed. Never changed their story. Some of the early Christians died because they wouldn't take a pinch of, of incense and throw it in the fire and declare Caesar to be God. No, only there's only one God and Caesar's not it. And a lot of them faced death for tore it apart by lines. I can go on and on and on. People who have put it on the line for their faith. Some of you have stories in here how God miraculously has worked in your life. <laughs> I've known people who are crack addicts, cocaine, alcohol dependent. I've known fathers who are mis you know, doing the right thing you, you, all over the spectrum. It's not about how bad they were before God knew them. It's the same power of God that worked in their lives to reconcile differences they had and bring them back. Ladies and gentlemen, there's people living on the edge right now. And the enemy's trying to push them off that edge. And it's our job. We've been given that mission to reach down where they're sitting on that ledge and pull them back up into the light 
of God and where there's truth and salvation. And as bad as things are in our country now, it's a great opportunity to speak into that culture the truth about who Jesus is and what he can do and what he has done. It's not time to back down. And I just want to share this with you. After Jesus died, Joseph Arimathea goes to Pilate and wants his body. He wants to put the body of Jesus in his grave. Pilate wants him to. But then Pilate is persuaded by the high priest to put guards around it because disciples were talking about him rising again and seal the body. So they sealed the tomb. Here's my point. The tomb was sealed. Everybody knew where the tomb was. A Roman guard was put there. Not, two, not just two guards, but probably six to twelve guards were there. And in a Roman guard, if you were to abandon your post, you would be killed. And by the way, when I served the Navy at the time of war, if I fell asleep on watch or abandoned my post, I could be put up against a wall and fired at. Face a firing line. That's the way it is. And yet... What people have found, an empty tomb, the stone rolled away, the Roman soldiers took off running in fear, and nowhere through the course of human history has anyone stood up and said, no, the tomb was not empty, he's still in there, here's his dead body, be quiet. No, no one defutes, no one argues the fact that the grave was indeed empty. Everybody agrees that yes, the grave is empty. The argument becomes, how do you say the tomb got empty? Some people say, well, he wasn't dead coming off the cross. Wait a second. The Roman soldiers would not dare take him off that cross and knew he was dead. That's the reason they stuck a spear in him. They didn't break his kneecaps like the rest of them. Because prophecy said not a bone in his body would be broken. It also tells me that Jesus gave up his life willingly because people, there's many, many testimonies of people being on that cross for days on end before they died. But Jesus died rather quickly. That tells me Jesus did everything he needed to do. And we know he had fulfilled everything that needs to be filled. He said, I'm laying my down and I live willingly. No one's taking it from me. I'm giving it up on my own accord and said, it is finished. And now we have an empty groove. An empty tomb. What do you, how do you say again empty? I, I say that he was raised from the dead. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 8, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. Some letters of Paul were written, well, most of the letters of Paul were written way before the gospel. first gospel written was the gospel of Mark, probably written around A.D. 30, 35, depending on who you read. That's 35 years within the events themselves. Listen to what Paul says. He tells the church at Corinth, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel right there, is it not? But he goes on. And then he appeared to Cyphus and to the twelve. Listen to this. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. My point being, if people are going around saying falsehoods, someone would have caught and said, you're lying. Think about the stories. The gospel writers themselves say, I didn't, we didn't put everything in there that Jesus ever did or said. If they did, the book would be huge. You couldn't carry it. Think about the woman at the well. The encounter she had with Jesus. I wonder what she went back and told him about her village. How about Lazarus? <laughs> What's his story? Can you imagine meeting him? What happened to you? Man, I was dead. Jesus raised me from the dead. 
There were people there that knew, in fact, he was dead. He was so dead, they said he stunk. What a testimony he have. We don't know the full impact of that. We, we're not told. How about the Garden of Gethsemane that Peter, bless his heart, trying to wield the sword. He was a fisherman by trade. One at the guard, cut his ear off, and what did Jesus do? He put his ear back on, right? I wonder what happened to him, what he had to say about who Jesus is. We don't know. My point being, dearly beloved, I know I'm chasing the rabbit here, but we have so many witnesses and testimonies of people in ancient times, people today, that will tell you who Jesus is. Yes, we're going to have doubts. And when you have doubts, go to Jesus. Tell him. Because in the middle of our doubts, we find Jesus to be trustworthy. We can discover hope. Robert Louis Stevenson, who was one of the greatest novelists of the 20th century, told a story one time about an excursion that he took to the South Island, South Sea Islands. The ship he was on was in a terrible storm. And down in the belly of the ship, bunch of passengers were frightened to death. The waves are crashing, coming over the deck, and they thought, man, our safety, we're doubting their safety, they're going to make it through it. I don't know if you've been out to sea on a ship. I was on a submarine. Let me tell you, the sea is a very powerful thing. You can toss around a massive boat like it ain't nothing. They're scared. Well, finally, one of the men from that group went up, Scurried up is what he says, up to the upper deck, and where he saw the captain, the captain's up there, he's quietly pacing the bridge, back and forth, back and forth, with a tranquil, undisturbed face. And he's telling his crew what to do. Hey, do this, do that, you know, take care of this. But the captain looks really undisturbed. He knows what to do. He's been trained. He's directing his crew as, they, as he should. And he turns at the guy, sees one of the pastor, he kind of smiles at him, probably gives him a nod, and continues on his business. So the man goes back downstairs, and of course the people are frightened to death. They're all huddled together. Well, what's going on up there? <laughs> and this is what the man said. He said, quote, I have seen the captain's face, and all is well, unquote. When you feel like you're on that ship in life, and those storms are coming at you, and those waves are huge, and you're scared. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and know that all is well. Because if you don't take your doubts to Jesus, doubt will lead to fear. And fear is the prison cell that I've kept myself far too long many times. Do not fear. Hand it over to Christ. Fear is a very bad place to end up with. And I think that's one of our problems as a church. We're just, we have fear. And we have doubt. Let me ask you this this morning. This is not going to anybody in particular. Are you tired of playing church? Just asking. Do you want to experience God? The God that we read about. The God that missionaries talk about. When are you going to let go of your fear and trust Him?
Many of you in this room I know are believers. You call yourselves Christians, follower of Jesus. That's wonderful. If we trust him for the most important question of our lives, where are we going to spend eternity, then why don't we trust him with the smaller things? Even in the midst of all our turmoil in our country, you can find you can have hope and you can have peace. I love my country. I served my country. But as I said earlier, my first allegiance to Christ. And with that said, I know this place is not my home. I like to have nice things like everybody, but sometimes I find myself holding on too tight. I gotta let go. Because one day all this is going to be gone. Everything everybody's fighting over right now is going to be gone. Gone. It ain't going to matter. It ain't going to matter how much money you had. It ain't going to matter what kind of clothes you wore. It ain't going to matter where you lived. It ain't going to matter your citizenship. All that stuff, the politicians and the cultures fighting over, it's not going to matter. The only thing that's going to matter, do you know Jesus Christ? That's the only thing that's going to matter. Did I give my life to him? Did I know him? Not just here, but more importantly in here. We need to live that way. Because what people need out there more than anything right now, hope. Hope. Dearly beloved, we have the true source of hope. And his name is Jesus. Go out there and tell them. Disciple them. Tell them. Yes, know the scriptures. Walk them through the book of John or whatever. All these different ways you can approach. The Roman road is another good one. But be ready to give a testimony for what it means to you. And how he's brought you through some of the darkest times in your life. Tell them what it means. Why do you take an hour, two hours to come here every Sunday? And I guarantee it's not to hear the greatest preaching in the world. Because that's not me. You're coming because you want to be with each other. You want to lift each other up and pray with each other and praise God with each other. You find encouragement in that. That's why you come. At least that's why I hope you're coming. This is our sanctuary. You know why? Because everything that divides us out there doesn't matter in here. We're all this brother and sister. We're all this sinners saved by the grace of God trying to make our way in this life. Hmm. What a beautiful thing. Have you given your life to Christ? Have you confessed your sin and repented of it? And if you have, are you being paralyzed by fear even now? My day of me leaving this earth has already been preordained by God. Now, I don't do anything stupid to hurry my death along. I want to be around. But when I die, I know where I'm going. And I want to make sure that I can see each and every one of you there when I get there. Hope. Hope in the face of death. Hope in the face of poverty. Hope in the face of racism. All these things. We have the answer. We just need to apply it and live it out. And when you do, 
people will ask you, there's something different about you. How can you be like that in the midst of everything that's going on? Because I know Jesus. He's trustworthy. Let me tell you about who he is. But more importantly, let me tell you some stories about how he's worked in my life. I'm just going to say this one more time. Please don't let fear paralyze you. It's not having doubt that's the issue. We're all going to have doubt. The whole thing that matters is how do you handle that doubt? That makes all the difference. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Father, you have provided us with so much history of how you've worked in the past among your people. We're surrounded by, as it says in the book of Hebrews, such a great cloud of witnesses. And fathers, a lot of times you let doubt get the better of us and we start to fall into fear. And the enemy uses that fear to just paralyze us in our steps. Father, I pray that everyone in the sound of my voice will hear you speak your truth into their life. And they will hear the voice of truth. And Father, I pray that you bind the enemy away from everybody that's here, everybody with the sound of my voice. Bind them away in the mighty name of Christ. He has no business here. He's the father of lies. He cannot speak the truth. Father, let them know that indeed, in spite of everything they have done or ever could do, Father, you love them regardless. And that you can take a mess and turn it into something absolutely beautiful. There is nothing impossible for you to do. As you said, Jesus, to Thomas a long time ago, may we be believing, believing of who you are, what you've done, what you currently are doing, what you've promised to do in the future. May your spirit, may you have your complete control in this moment. And may we respond in a way that brings you honor and glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me?